a co-host, Claire Van Winkle of Rockaway Writers Workshop. Good morning. Good morning. And our guest is Ori Dahari. Um, Ori is a graduate of Columbia University and has studied at Cambridge University, England. She received her uh, 500 hours yoga certification from the Integral Yoga Institute um, and Stone Pilots. Um, and uh, over a decade ago, uh, she, since then, she has been studied with uh, Cindy Lee, Shiva Ray, and Tyus Little, among other prominent teachers. Her extensive studies of anatomy and physiology um, has given her insights to the needs of both individual and large groups. Ori's uh, passion for mind-body awareness encompasses uh, Eastern modalities. She is a level three shiatsu practitioner, and she teaches in Westchester, New York. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't we start with um, talking a little bit about your background, where you were born, where you grew up, and the role models you had when growing up. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was born in Israel <clears throat> in a city called Ashkelon. And um, I grew up in Israel, and then I came to the United States at the age of 20, 20 years ago. Uh-huh. About 20 years ago. And uh, growing up, what were some of the role models you had uh, in your family or outside? And, and how did you uh, kind of become to become the woman you are today? And how yeah. did you, uh, milestones in your evolution, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a Orthodox Jewish family, and um, a lot of, most of my female role models were really... Um, you know, women who were um, expected to have children early on in their lives and their identities really revolved around their maternal really identity. And so um, I was exposed to that early on in my childhood and internally I intuited that it, that is, was not what I wanted because I saw that they really did not have agency in their, in their lives. There was no choice. There was just the inevitability of um of you know getting married early on and having a lot of children and um and i just sensed that something was missing and so i decided to break boundaries and venture out uh into um an unconventional path yeah and back then it was really the path of yoga for me so Early on, I dropped out of middle school when I was 14 years old, and then I just immersed myself in the yogic teachings. Yeah, it's so interesting when you think about uh, the edu- our education, our, our path towards learning, and the uh, um, structures in which we learn, um, the formal, both informal and informal. So you talk a little bit more about kind of your relationship with both formal and informal education as it yeah. progressed. Yeah, and. You know, I think that a lot of people have the privilege of um, of having a good structure in their lives. And they, you know, there's a, a nice flow from high school to college to maybe getting your PhD. And I think... Are, are you talking about in the United States? Um, I think primarily yeah. in the United States. Because I know in yeah. Israel, actually, it's a little different because you go to the army mm-hmm. and then you travel the world, which I went to the army as well. Right. I was in the Air Force. Um, but um, so I guess it's different in different countries. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Um, but uh, for me, it was different. And, and I think the informal component, the informal component mm-hmm. for me was, um, you know, helped shape who I am. Uh, in a way that maybe uh, a formal education wouldn't have. 
And so later on, though, you know, I completed my GED, which is the high school equivalent diploma. And, um, you know, I, um, I studied at Westchester Community College and then I transferred to Cambridge and then and then to Columbia University where I graduated. And, you know, and now I'm um, I am planning on getting my master's in music education. So I I understand the value of formal education. I think it's really vital, really important. And it's for me, it's really a gift for myself because a lot of oftentimes people are ask me, oh, what are you going to do with your degree? And I'm like, I don't know. It's really a gift for myself. Yeah. 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 Good, good. And you were talking a little bit about some of the the roadblocks that maybe you overcome. So even go a little bit more into uh, what what kind of challenges did you encounter uh, and how did you perceive them as opportunities? You're you're talking a little bit about that, but uh, a little bit more about the kind of like the, when you're teaching yourself and when you're kind of going through that process, what were the challenges that you had to overcome in order to? Oh, early on. Earlier on, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really hard to, um, for me, you know, as as a, a young teenager, it was hard for me to not have um, a role model that was consistent that I actually, and, and realistic. Because mm. then I think maybe I drew some inspiration from, you know, um, major opera singers like Maria Callas, for example. But she she's an idol, so every so she was on a pedestal and it was, it was no access, really. You know, there was no dialogue. that She was not here and now, you know. And um, um, so I think that's a major kind of caveat of kind of going your own path early on because re- having consistent role models to look up to are, are so important. So I think that's a major. Yeah. Can I ask you um, your choice to follow this independent path? Did that have any repercussions in your family life uh, when you were younger? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, so I am an only child. And my parents got divorced when I was early on. So the family structure was already, was not really cohesive. Um, and um, and as a child, even I spent a lot of time on my own, by myself. Um, so I, in a sense, it was just kind of magnifying what was already there. Like that was the, um, the foundation that I moved out mm. uh, from. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about the pressure to have lots of children early. Was your? It seems like your family structure was a little different from that. Did that yeah. sort of help to give you some independence and agency away from that traditional expectation? Yeah, good. Um, possibly. I don't know. Maybe unconsciously it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my mom, actually, she's the oldest of 12 children, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, she was uh, the exception in that she really did not have, I'm her only daughter, mm-hmm. and most of her sisters and brothers have uh, many more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So ultimately you found a path towards music and uh, the yogic path. So if you talk a little bit about kind of how you started to begin down the music path, and then we can go into... Yeah, uh, well, yeah. I've always been singing my whole life, really. And then... Uh, you know, I was lucky because back in Israel, in Tel Aviv, when I was about 16 years old, I met my my um, my voice teacher, who was a Buddhist, and he's a she is a Buddhist, and um, just an open-minded, a great role model. So actually, she helped me navigate a little bit through my emotional life and my musical uh, education as well. 
Yeah, good, good. And then you start getting into, uh, you start being exposed to yogic paths and Vedantic philosophy. Mm-hmm. And how did, how did that happen or how did that evolve? Um, you know, so I started re- uh, reading Richard Hittleman's book yeah. uh, and 28 Days to Yoga. And it was like, I read it day and night. I always carried it with me. And I was just so inspired by, there was like a sense of levity um, in the language, in the images, in the book. Um, and there was just a sense of well-being that I was never, I was never, I was not exposed to before. Mm. And that was very attractive to me. Uh, that sense of having agency over my own body and mind. And I can, I am the master of my life. I am the master of my body. So if I eat well, I'm going to be healthier. So, and if I, you know, practice yoga asanas and pranayamas, that's a portal into my well-being, into my emotional and intellectual life, into self-reflection. And that was something I was not familiar with. No one talked, I mean, that was in the early 90s. Mm. Uh, you know, like 25 years ago. And yoga, I think, I don't know, in the United States if it was as popular as it is now. I think it's starting to build up some momentum, but not as not as popular and now. And so you yeah. can imagine in Israel, yeah. and yeah. I remember I was looking for a yoga studio and it took me a really long time to find it. Mm-hmm. And there was just a yoga class that happened once a week far from me and I had to go. So it was definitely not as popular as it is today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I had to navigate through the obscurity of yoga back then. I well. think yeah. one of the reasons it's becoming more popular and accessible too is um, the greater prevalence of yoga teacher training programs. Yeah. And some of them um, working to be a little bit more affordable. So it used to be kind of, even when I got my certification, it was it was very difficult to find a program that you could afford if you had to, you know, like work and do normal um New York, uh, self-sustaining things. But I think that that's changing a little bit. Um, although I see in New York studios that there's sort of a trend toward thing studios being absolutely donation based or getting a little bit more expensive. Again, it's hard to find like just a reasonable yoga class that you can go to. Yeah. And it seems like philosophically too, the philosophy of yoga is being not just uh, being some of the non-attachment and the eight limbs we were talking a little bit about in the pre-interview questions, but basically the the foundation in Vedantic tradition of discipline and moral um, you know, posture and all that. If you talk a little bit about that and how it's informed you. Yeah, and yeah. I just want to um, just uh, kind of add on to what Claire was saying about, you know, I think that there's, for example, I got my certification at the Integral Yoga Institute mm-hmm. yeah. uh, like 15 years, over 15 years ago now, I think, and um, and they really emphasize karma yoga. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, I mean, you pay your tuition, but then, you know, when you teach, you teach as karma yoga. So I think for most classes, you don't really get compensated. And mm-hmm. um, so anyway, I think there's an interesting dynamic there because you said that some studios say, you know, based on donation as well. Right. No, yeah. but, well, it's, it's a strange thing because then there's also the idea of, of yoga teachers not getting paid. Yeah, which, which is yeah. How um, is that sustainable? Right, and and I think that it, it's a strange catch twenty two because on the one hand, some people want to donate their time and teach yoga, but then the more yoga teachers who are willing to work without getting paid, 
the more studios feel like they don't have to pay their teachers. And then it becomes this vicious cycle of wanting to make this um, not a career in terms of, oh, how can I get rich teaching yoga, but just something that where you can spend your time and it's not it's not something you do that you stick on to the end of a 10 hour workday, like, oh, now I'm going to go teach a yoga class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of the problem is that maybe um, yoga has been put up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. So it's something, it's not like maybe we're still learning how to integrate it fully into our lives, including the yamas and the niyamas, the eight yeah. limbs of yoga, <clears throat> instead of just having it as an isolated 30 minute practice or whatever, an hour of practice, however long it is. Um, you know, once or twice a week. Um, so, and it's really actually, it's also related to my, you know, inner polemic about the commodifying of yoga, of art. Of education. Of education. I mean, yeah, there's an education yeah. crisis in terms of, of paying teachers and making things accessible. Mm. So this, this it's strange in, in New York where there's all of this culture and all of these opportunities. It's like, yeah, but we have to start prioritizing making educators uh feel as though they're actually needed it's Mm. sort of sort of this strange um twisted focus here and it's also a problem for students too i mean i'm still paying my loans and and my student loans and i'm no i'm gonna pay my loans for my master's and it's and so but it is about prioritizing you Mm. know because for me education is so important now i think because i was deprived of it early on and I really enjoy studying. I really appreciate the gift of giving myself, of, of enriching myself, of giving myself education and being able to think critically and have more tools and agency over my thinking. Um, so it is about prioritizing. So I'm thinking, okay, I could spend that money on education mm-hmm. or, you know, I could spend it on, um, you know, be frivolous things that I don't really need. And yeah. so it's, is about prioritizing. And I like that word because I think it's just so important. And I think it's a personal, it's a pers- personal process to prioritize what is important for me, what is nece- necessary. Yeah. It has to do with community and building up our community, empowering our community, empowering each individual to be fully present, be fully aware and fully uh, knowledgeable so that then we're all a community of equals, not a disempowered, disenfranchised community, you know? And that, that's so, what yeah. teachers do. Teachers yeah. are who we rely on to empower the community, but we also have to start empowering the teachers a little bit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Acknowledging their role and acknowledging the, the vital role they play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that teachers need to, like, eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They do. Yeah. It's really about the sustainability. Yeah. Of it. I mean, I, I could teach yoga. I could teach yoga for free, but how do I pay my bill? Right. Oh, do yeah. you guys know this saying? You can't be the light of the world if you can't pay your light bills, like yeah. your electricity bills. Yeah. So That's it's good. just, it has to be, you have to be able to be in the middle of it and hold both opposites and uh learn how to um you know claim what is yours as well Mm -hmm. and i think that's how change starts no i'm not going to teach yoga for free every day right because Mm. it's not sustainable because it's not self-caring for me Mm. i mean i'm happy to volunteer and i do i have my own volunteering work but let's frame it yeah let's frame it as such right understand that i have my needs too and let's not put yoga on a pedestal so that 
teachers don't get paid well or right. even with education in general. Or or to take the idea that, oh, yoga is so spiritual. How can we tie it up with money? It's like, well, you know, you yeah. still have to pay for a MetroCard to get to class, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, we still yeah. live in a society that is governed by this kind of thing. In, in, any, in any way, it has to be sustainable, as we're saying, <laughs> that, you know, we can't kind of twist around the philosophy just to kind of use that as a way or use that as a way to manipulate people. We can you know? twist our bodies. Yeah, not our bodies. yeah. yeah. <laughs> good, good. So, uh, yeah, we can talk a little bit more about the philosophy then and how it kind of has informed you. We talked a little bit about, kind of, I think this, this conversation though is very yeah. important to have and how the two, um, two aspects of it are the secular as well as the kind of more, as you're saying, the pedestal aspects, you know? Yeah. And actually yeah. I think it's a good segue uh, to the some of the philosophies that really have served me, like Zhuangzi's philosophy, who was a Chinese philosopher, and um, <clears throat> about how uh, we can move away from um, conventional standards of judgment, like Claire mentioned, you know, like that spiritual practice versus making money. Yeah, you know. Um, being uh, wealthy versus poor, so mm-hmm. poverty ver- versus wealth, uh, and success versus failure. Mm. And when we have those distinctions run through our lives, I think uh, a problem emerges because we are both. We're not either. We're not just this or that. And I think suffering really stems from those distinctions. You know, we perpetuate suffering by by consistently, I know for myself, <clears throat> by, um, I, and I mean, I think it's important to know, to distinct as well, to, to, you know, but I think when we become so identified with, okay, uh, success is who I am, mm. wealth is, right, just kind of looking at one aspect of things instead of understanding that we are multifaceted and it's all, it's all of it. Yeah. Well, labeling does does become an issue too, especially and, and let's let's go back to the yoga teacher thing. You know, I'll go uh, out. I I do my fair share of of going out dancing and in bars and drinking some beer and stuff. And people are like, "Oh my god, you're a yoga teacher and you do that?" I'm like, "Yeah, because I don't just sit around meditating 24 hours yeah. a day." Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so the idea of of trying to. Uh, both live up to what other people think of in terms of labels, but also this sort of inclination to label ourselves and to expect things of ourselves based on the labels that we embrace. Mm. Um, the idea, I mean, when the reality is, I don't know, at least for me, I, when I go to yoga class, I don't all, I don't wake up and be like, I am going to go to yoga now. And I have this brilliant energy and I feel wonderful every day. Sometimes it's like, shit, I have to get my ass up and go to yoga class. And it's like, I do, because that's what makes you a yogi. It's, it's, it's yeah. knowing that nobody is one thing all of the time. Yeah. yeah. And I think actually sometimes, you know, we may feel depressed or for me, you know, I, I'll speak in, right. <laughs> you know, first person. So for me, for example, let's say I wake up and I feel uh, triggered emotionally uh, or depressed and, and so the meditation practice and the yoga practice are not just tools to um, elevate myself, but they're a pivotal, they're, I use them as a pivotal practice, you know? So into, so I, it's like a mirror turning into myself and reflecting instead of just mm. looking for the high. And reflection is not always 
reflection is not always this this easy journey or in in terms reflection can be painful reflection mm. can be difficult exactly. and painful and yeah. and yet necessary so the idea of meditation it's not always to ride this calm no. or emerge as this peaceful enlightened being sometimes it's just okay this is something i have to do growing pains spiritually yeah. it's not transcendental you know it's not about transcending where we are it's going through it and I don't know, I, you said sometimes it's about that, but for me, often it's about right, that. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, yeah. I think, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to pick up also about the expectation versus reality kind of thing, about how people have these lauded, it's easy to judge and it's easy to kind of have the yogic should be such and such and have a long list, but uh, it's more of a process, as we're saying. It's more of a process of the journey and uh, not to kind of, and, and to make it a fully internal path. Yeah, not and, to be about. And yeah. you know, you mentioned the uh, yoga, um, the sutras, the yeah. eight limbs before. And yeah. Can you talk? Can you uh, just for our listeners who are unfamiliar with that concept, can you just tell us a little bit about that? So that yeah. We're on the yeah. Same so page. Um, the far the the so they they include the yamas and niyamas, for example, the top two. Uh, so the yoga, um, um, the eight limbs open with the yamas and niyamas, which really are the um, observances and attitudes. So how do we engage morally and ethically with the world, with our, our surroundings and with ourselves? What are, what is our moral compass? And, um, so they are really tools. And you know what? I, th- I think the, the last one is it, uh, uh, Nirvana or yeah. what is it? Yes. And Samadhi. Samadhi, right. Yeah. And so, and so it's important though to, to know that they're not hierarchical. Yeah. You know, they really are to be fully integrated. It's not that we are just strive for that Samadhi. It's, it's really about being fully engaged in the world and continually examining our uh, moral motivations. Mm. Yeah. It seems like uh, the combination of, it seems like they all work together is what you're saying. And I think exactly. I understand that you have the, the discipline and the posture and the breathing. Uh, and that kind of brings you together with the kind of sense of renunciation mm-hmm. or um, kind of non-attachment mm-hmm. that bring you into the, the meditative path that bring you into union and all these things are right. all combined. They yeah. flow into, yeah. there's a nice yeah. flow, right? And I mean, you can really go into, that's a, another radio show really to, yeah. to flesh them out. Um but exactly, it's like you meditate and let's say you have a good meditation practice and maybe you tapped into a certain level of, uh, you know, samadhi and then you, you know, get off your cushion and you start the world and you, you start your day and, and you have to do laundry or, you know, your boss annoys you or so there's you continuously are engaged with life and with the world. Mm-hmm. It's not just. I think the problem is that when we experience something really good, we just want to sustain it, and that's not natural. Yeah. But but it is natural. I mean, we yeah. Why not? We want to experience more pleasure, more good. But it's but life is so much more, you know, complicated than that, and, and richer than that. And our our higher our higher power, whatever it is that you believe in, in really um, knows how to pave the path for us for our growth so even if we face an obstacle or a painful situation and it's like why why is that necessary yeah but it is yeah, i think jack cornfield had written the book um you know first uh, nirvana and then uh the laundry or mm-hmm. first the yeah, then laundry yeah so it's kind of saying what you're saying capturing what you're saying that 
you know, even though we may all experience certain higher level states or whatever we call higher level or we call kind of absorption, mental absorption, that we have to then return to the world and constantly be in that cycle of But it of, is, and of it's a tool. It's like yeah. the yoga chitta vritti niroda, right? Yeah. So the fluctuations of the mind. So when you're aware of, of your thoughts during meditation, and it's not about eliminating thoughts, it's just about, you know, cultivating awareness and then maybe noticing the space between the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And you get that practice maybe 20, 30 minutes a day, you know, in a formal practice. And then you go out into the world and you something that, you know, might trigger you. You actually develop that internal pause mm. and you're able to observe and, and realize there's a choice. It's like an internal time kind of becomes malleable and mm. you're not as reactive. And mm. so that's where practice is really applied. So that's the beauty of those you know, the yogic tools that they really are to be applied in daily life. Yeah. I find in my experience that, um, uh, I find repeating patterns. So it's always the same thing that's happening over and over again. So when I try to analyze what happened before, then, uh, I'm able to have like a natural reaction the next time it occurs. Cause I know it's going to happen again. These kinds of things happen all the time and any kind of what you call trigger points or any kind of things like that are really an internal experience. So whenever we have those trigger points, we kind of think about them and reflect on them, analyze them using analytic and uh, interpretive uh, meditations to cultivate a sense of awareness in those moments, uh, in the past moments, I mean. So then when they reoccur, we're more prepared, you know? Right. And I think also the um, non-attachment is yeah. important as well because then we realize it's okay and that's how we can be a good friend to ourselves. Yeah. Right. So part the idea of building a discipline through not being too hard on ourselves. So understanding that nothing is a complete straight line forward and falling off the meditation wagon one day doesn't (laughs) doesn't mean that you have broken your routine. It's not, it's not about, it's about developing a sustainable habit of, of, nurture internal and external and it enriches life it makes us more human more compassionate more kind to ourselves and hopefully other people as well yeah so now's a good time to start gearing up towards a song yeah. uh so we can start in a few minutes we'll start a song of yours and you can talk a little bit about your kind of uh the music and yes. and the cd and such and yeah kind of stuff, so yeah. i uh just released my first ep my first cd and it's on itunes now um I believe Spotify and other digital outlets. And, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, I always sang my whole life. And then, um, you know, in my teenage years, I started studying uh, classical uh, repertoire, uh, some more operatic repertoire. And, uh, but I've always written my own songs as well. And, you know, and they encompass different genres. Um, So, you know, I've decided that I really wanted to get my music recorded, like in a legit studio with a skilled musician. So I hired musicians and, you know, and the music, it, it came out really nicely. I think I'm, yeah. I'm proud of it. It's very good. I liked it as well. I Thank hope people you. look it up. and, and yeah, like so, that, yeah. So this will be one of this. It's called Learning to Kneel. This mm-hmm. will be a song from uh, the CD as well. Great. Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. And then. Um, yeah, so I'll just set my. Yeah, and people can look up, uh, uh, and you have a website, I believe, um, Ori Dahari, with O-R-I-T. O-R-I-T. D-A-H-A-R-I. 
A R I, right? Correct. Music yeah, or com. is it dot com dot com? Just yeah. dot com. Dot yeah. com. Okay. Yeah. And 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 it's really it talks. I mean, in, on the website you can see a little bit about my yoga and yeah. about music because there they've been just two components that you know have always been there in my life. Great, yeah. great. Yeah. So. so okay, so this is learning to kneel. Step by step, I move forward into future unknown. Learn that happiness borrowed is not happiness at all. Is not Let my mind become water so that I may flow. Let my heart surrender to the currents far below, to the Getting lost, 
beautiful so it's very stirring you know, emotionally i think it's very very great very amazing yeah thank you thank so much you. yeah thank you i really enjoy writing songs as well just as much as singing them can you talk a little bit about your writing process um about how your ideas come to you and perhaps uh the journey from the flow of ideas to the structure of the lyrics themselves that's a really good question because oftentimes they're not so structured. Um, but I mean, so in terms of I write poetry, so in I'm not necessarily talking about a structured, strict process. I'm talking more about from when the ideas come to when you say this is finished. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so um, I think for me, emotions are big. So. Yeah, it's a good question because you know what? I've been thinking about my process and trying to kind of articulate it. And um, sometimes when there's, I mean, I guess an emotional um, need to express something, right? That words can cannot, uh, that just regular prose maybe could not just contain. So, um I guess I'm just having a little hard time explaining because sometimes the music precedes the lyrics mm -hmm. and sometimes I may just have um, like one line of a full, of what would be a full, you know, uh, song just really stir me and, um, and it just will be like a thread and then I pull it and then some, you know, and then there's something else comes out of it. Mm. But um do you keep a journal? I suppose that's another good place to start. So in terms of this this uh, journey from the emotion to the utterance to the thread to the yeah. finished um, tapestry, yeah. I guess, do, I find that journaling helps. Is that something that you do in order to allow yourself to yeah. keep these ideas without being slave to a... A quote unquote formal writing process. Yeah. You know, and, and 
you know, it's like, I don't want to, again, put the process up on a pedestal. I think, right. like, I think mm-hmm. a, pe- the pe- a pedestal is a word that keeps coming up today for yeah. me, at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's why I'm talking more about, about yeah. journaling being, because journaling isn't, yeah. to me, really a process. Journaling is more like the meditation of writers. Right. And, it's also, yeah. and it also implies, I think what you're alluding to is a, a kind of discipline, mm-hmm. you know, because again, if we just like, oh, I'm, if I'm going to say, oh, I'm only going to write when inspiration Comes, you know, and so that may be once a month, and that's really not something. I mean, I would want something much more engaging. I want to engage with my mu- music, with my creativity mm-hmm. on a daily basis, on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Um, so journaling, I think, can help. But you know, I think um, sometimes the the process is kind of nebulous. Mm-hmm. And actually, several of my songs I wrote because I just woke up in the middle of the night and I just had. Like I heard the music in my dream and I woke up and I have a recorder next to my bed and I recorded it yeah. and then it became a song. Uh, or sometimes I'll just, you know, I'll just start, I'll just play with different chord progression, different uh, harmonic chord progression. And then I'll just hum like with this song. Da, 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 da. And then I'll remember um, I'll, some something that someone said about your knees were created for one thing and it is for kneeling. Mm. I was like, and that really stayed with me. I'm like, that I want to flesh it out in a song. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, um, and then the first line happens, and then, and then some metaphors come in, and so you know, it's kind of unconscious process as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I find also the experimentation of John. You're saying about journaling, how it allows that kind of allowing the flood to happen, and then disciplining it with us you know kind of saying i'm going to take this out or take this out yeah and i think yeah. it's important to journal because you're not censoring right it's mm-hmm. like a free yeah. flow of consciousness and then you can take an idea maybe and then and then turn it into something and it also goes back to that idea of uh setting aside expectations because mm. i'm a writing therapist as well and uh it's so frequent that I encounter writers who are kind of afraid to journal because they're like, oh, well, everything I write is bullshit. <laughs> I, I write so much. And I'm like, well, yeah. the first step of writing is to be comfortable writing badly. It's like when you see what people come up with, you're only seeing the finished pro- product, right? You don't see all the pages that it took to get there. Yeah. But you have to go through that sort of uh, the flood, the, yeah. I guess, the labyrinth of words in order to find the ones that you're looking for. Yeah, letting go of the inner critic, letting go of the judgment, and then we can kind of get to a place where we're in a place of abundance. Yeah, we get to work (laughs) and we get a place of abundance where we have a lot of material that we can pick from and choose from. And there's really no no end product, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I mean, even a few of my songs that are, you know, supposedly completed, but I I, I sense that they st- there's still more that can be, you know, added to them or maybe taken or just, you know, a different point of view can in, um, incorporate into them. But I think what you said about, you know, um, well, my, my one of my Columbia professors said that we never really finish drafting, mm-hmm. but what you publish, what you publish is simply your most recent abandoned draft. That's yeah. really your a, last a abandoned draft. Point. Yeah. Stopping yeah. Stopping point, yeah. Yes, exactly. And you, may want to revisit it later on and you know and expand on it but there's no really end product and i think maybe that's uh maybe um because we tend to assign exchange value to things we're looking to okay this is my end product now i'm going to sell it now i'm going to make money out of it so that we kind of frame it in that way in a very capitalistic kind of way 
Oh, goodness, though. Yeah. Poets, I don't know about if we ever frame our, our work in a capitalistic way. I would. But definitely there's some people who... <laughs> yeah, no, commercial I poets I'm just teasing. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. I think we internally, we, we want recognition. Right. And we want to be seen. We want mm-hmm. visibility. Mm. And um, which is really another topic. I don't know. That's something. Yeah. That's little, mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Well, one thing we can pick up on is the scarcity versus abundance and how, you know, kind of get into a place where we're not moving from scarcity or moving from abundance. And I talk a little bit about kind of your understanding of that. And, mm-hmm. and we can lead into a story about that you uh, mm-hmm. shared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell me more? So basically just about, uh, you know, we kind of even even in people who have a lot of objectively have a lot of things they feel like oh it's not enough there's there's a very little that i have they're always pushing themselves for more but rather coming from a place where you know i have everything i need of abundance and kind of feeling that place of abundance and kind of um being content and that practice of a contentment seems like it's very much a theme of yours that uh that i read in your work and your songs and such that kind of come from a place of of real power you, and that abundance, yeah. Are you kind of saying that instead of focusing on what else do I need to start moving forward, maybe taking the attitude of how do I work with what I have? Yeah, and also understanding that, you know, that a lot of times we're always thinking that what about what exactly what we don't have. Like the consumerist culture is one of getting, the, you know, you're not content that you have an iPhone, you have to have the latest model. Mm-hmm. It has to be upgraded. It has to be always the next thing, the next thing. But well, really, sitting in a place of power. Yeah, but it's a have, yeah. struggle for me. I mean, yeah. I, it's a struggle uh, because speaking of iPhone, I, I, yeah. I'm like, I could use a new iPhone. My <laughs> yeah. yeah, my phone is like not so reliable, they say. But, um, but um, you know, but I hold, I hold back on, I hold off on purchasing a new one because I'm just, I ask myself, is it really necessary? And yeah. I think. Um, that's an important question for me. Is it necessary? Because really, I don't need much. Um, but it just seems that if I only got that new, I don't know, you know, iPhone, new pants, new whatever, it's going to somehow amplify my life. Yeah. Maybe for a brief moment, it would, you know, provide the illusion that my life is, I don't know, happier. Yeah. And I know you were saying about Thoreau and your influence of Thoreau, the yeah. influence Thoreau had on you. So yeah. Thoreau in Walden, Thoreau, uh, one of his keywords uh, is, uh, is it necessary really? Mm. Right? Necessities. What are the necessities? And he argues that, you know, luxuries are not only dispensable, mm. but they're actually real hindrances mm. to our, uh, to tapping into our uh, inner life, inner life, you know, our, self-reflection and sense of identity and individuality and freedom Mm. freedom um so it's definitely a process of negotiation because because as a human there's things that i want and so i have to keep reflecting do i really need that i mean right now i have my projects of you know paying my for my master so i i have to be a little more scrupulous about my expenses and yeah well and it's it's so kind of sad that education has been uh, turned into this thing that society sees as a luxury Mm. that a college education, a higher degree is something. If we look at luxury in terms of the value and lack of accessibility given by monetary value, Mm -hmm. then our society is saying, well, you know, education is, is itself an elite thing that is a luxury that, 
you have to decide either you want to succeed in this way or Mm -hmm. you can save money and buy this education when really it shouldn't be something to be traded like that. It should be something that society sees as a necessity and treat as it treats as such yeah upholding the idea that as a community we all have to as i was saying before about we'll have to run and raise the raise us raise, raise each other up and kind of help each other to, to go along and right but yeah. within that conflict that where you just mentioned i think there is really prioritizing a mm-hmm. choice i mean this is the reality so mm-hmm. now now it's up to me to make a choice that serves me. Yeah. right well so i teach it i teach at cuny um and it's it's just in it's both inspiring and and sad to me to see what my students go through because they have made the choice to be there but there's such an attrition rate just due to the fact that even within cuny the tuition keeps going up and within cuny the system still doesn't really recognize that some of these students are raising families and they are themselves helping to support their families. And these 19 year olds have jobs in addition to school. And so I, I just wonder, um, I, I feel like you're talking about prioritizing and choice. Um, I think we need to give people a little bit more choice yeah so that it's not it's yeah, more not freedom so much for choice. I agree. Yeah. it's, it's a no, choice agree, within a very yeah. very narrow uh structure i mean yeah because like these yeah. kids don't have the option of saying oh well my priority right now is education because the priority is getting their kids to school and, yeah. and then the education is something that kind of is forced to take a second place uh for them and i i just think that in in a city in a city like this that champions tries to champion diversity and accessibility um our city politicians have to pay a little bit more attention to making that happen through education yeah Yeah. i agree and and i think it's our responsibility to you know be more outspoken about that Mm -hmm. yeah and also talking about uh accountability and responsibility and such uh we were talking a little bit about the theme of the show truth to power i've always been interpreting as finding personal truth to empower ourselves in our communities, uh, but also having to do with demanding truth and saying, holding accountability that, um, you know, that we're all becoming kind of uh, in this contestation with uh, what is truth and what is the, what, what are, and facts and all these kinds of things and being able to hold responsibility and accountability to mm-hmm. people who are commanding the spotlight and such. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit about this in the, Mm-hmm. questions about confronting established doctrines mm-hmm. and uh, demanding well, truth. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important for us to move from a vague, vague sense of civic duty into a real critical, uh, you know, discernment of um, of what serves us as individuals and yeah. as a public. Mm. Um, and, and, and by the way, I think that education is so important right. because without education, you can't develop this critical thinking yeah. we are not born with it mm-hmm. right yeah. it has got to be fortified and nourished and if you have um a, you know um uh, educated parents then you are privileged you know mm-hmm. i i think so because yeah. my parents did not go to school did not go to college mm-hmm. so yeah. so education is really important pivotal it's, yeah we have to know our history we have to know where we're coming from as a society, as a culture, up, and to and grow, to grow yeah. up in an environment that 
um, that nurtures you to think mm. critically mm. so that it's not just something you learn later at school. Yeah. I just, I look forward to the day when education becomes a right and not a privilege. Yeah. Mm. Me yeah, too. I mean, it's definitely essential to a functioning society. We have to have people understanding where we're, where the society's coming from, where, where the, what the stories that we, we share are mm -hmm. and, and be able to critically think of where are we going to bring society? Where are we going to, where are we going towards? Yes. And, yeah. and hopefully not just like, um, uprise when there's something critical happens like I, I think that now people are so much more aware of their rights and you know mm. and and are more propelled to vote uh whether it's you know i think probably as as a response as a reaction to what i think some of us perceive as a despotic yeah yeah <laughs> um government yeah um, but also circling back to about how in our in our individual power places individual truth and individual power places how we can uh, not be caught up in this uh, kind of how we can prevent ourselves being caught up in the kind of uh, rat race of like responding knee jerk responses. We have to come from a true place of, you know, truth and empowerment mm -hmm. and how that can mean uh, making the choice that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm powerful. I'm making that choice, a clear declaration that I don't need to be chasing after something new thing, you know, or some oh, other thing. Yes, yeah. that yeah. is such a great principle. Yeah. And actually, Shuangs and uh, Confucius also talk about it, and they frame it as a Wu Wei or uh -huh. non-action. Yeah. Uh, how do we, can we create change, but um, without being too attached to our agenda? Mm. Well, I think that, uh, and we sort of got into this a little bit last week with talking about positivity and making sure that our energies not only go into changing that which needs to be shaken up but also celebrating the things that are positive going on and yeah. making sure that we we don't just try to change each other that we also try to support each other when yeah. um when we're doing when people are doing good and so sometimes we get so swept up as in a society in calling out people who are doing harm that we forget to support the people who are bringing not just positive change, but contributions like art yeah. or friendship or yeah. um, just the everyday. There's no need to lose sight of the pleasures that do exist around us without any effort from us. We become so entangled the negation that we can't progress. You know, we can't, it's so entangled that uh, it becomes like, you know, instead of a progression, we're going, we're in the first we're just not A and then not A and then not A. You know what I'm saying? Instead of A, B, C, we're not progressing the system. We're just kind of entangled in this uh, empty war of empty words about what's what we don't like. Like, you know? look at us now. Yeah. We're, we're bitching about yeah. not enjoying life. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you had a great uh, a story. Uh, if you could tell a story about um, when you were in India, the um, mm. experience you had with someone in poverty, and then mm -hmm. we'll start to. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, as a segue, I think that relates to um, our discussion earlier about the judgments we may have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about poverty and, and wealth and how um, some philosophers really stress the importance of cultivating non-attachment. Um, so uh, when I was in India um, about eight years ago now, um, I was walking down in Shahapur. It's a little town. And I was walking away from our 
motel, motel. And, uh, and right around the corner on a dirt road, there was um, a woman, a homeless woman. And I saw her and there was just something about her. She just felt like the primordial mother. And she didn't speak a word in English. Maybe she said uh, hello or thank you, but it was, you know, she, she didn't speak any English really. And I didn't speak her language. But we were able to communicate and through body language, through smiles, just, you know, facial expressions. And um, and so, and, and then later I walked back to the, hotel and then I and then I just had to see her again I just had to see her again so after dinner I went back out and she was there and this time her family so when I first saw her uh her family she had like three kids and her husband and they were asleep and then when I woke up when I when I went back there they were all um they were all up and she was cooking dinner for them um you know and and um and she invited me to eat with them. And again, without what she was just, she just pointed to the food. And, and I was just struck by her generosity, you know, mm. and, um, and, you know, and I just had a bite and it was the most delicious dish ever. Um, and um, yeah, she was just, and she, she offered me to sit with them and, you know, and, and I just didn't want to impose, but it was just that, that, generosity of a homeless person who has a whole family to feed yeah and like a woman coming from a place of abundance that we kind of it's easy for us abundance. yeah and it's easy for us to be like oh she's a victim or something like that no, or, there was, it's, exactly. but it's easy for us to think that about people who are mm-hmm. uh, in situations similar to that but then we realize she's coming from a place of power and that she's experiencing that abundance in her life yeah, yeah. that she's able to give to you as well yeah yeah. So now as we start to wind down, um, we only have a few more minutes. So we'll just play out another song, but I'll also do some announcements uh, for Radio Free Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Radio Free Brooklyn is going to be having a uh, special event, Pop Rocks Fest, uh, one of our, another show on the um, Radio Free Brooklyn, uh, Monday, November 12th. They're celebrating one year of pop and rock music with Radio Free Brooklyn's show, Pop Rocks. The event will be hosted by Evan Bieber. With live performances by New York City's band artists, uh, Peter Wise. Um, come and hang out, enjoy the music, and Pine Box Rock Shop. And you can find out more uh, at evanbieber.com, pop rock slash pop rocks fest. So please go check that out. Uh, and then, um, of course, this is Radio Free Brooklyn, Truth to Power Show. And Radio Free Brooklyn is a small nonprofit that exists primarily in donations from viewers like listeners like you. So please consider donating. And uh, you'll be able to get your donations uh, uh, tax deductible to the full extent of the law. Donations can be made at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Um, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I just want to invite everybody out to uh, Rockaway Love uh, 9016 Rockaway Beach Boulevard this coming Saturday at 530 p.m. Um, to kick off our the Rockaway Writers Workshop reading series, See and Hear, with German translator Anne Poston, who will be reading some of her translations and some of her original prose. Um, all Rockaway Writers Workshop events are free by donation at the discretion of the participants. So we invite you to come out. Also, if you're interested in appearing on Truth to Power show or as a featured guest at CN Here, you can email truthtopowershow at gmail.com 
or get in touch with me, Claire, at info at rockawaywritersworkshop.org. Thank you. Thank you. And also just to know, for our listeners to know, on November 19th, we'll be celebrating our one-year anniversary. Choose the Power Show's one year, has been one year on the air. So we're going to be having a call-in show on November 19th, Monday, November 19th at 8 in the morning. We'll be inviting people to call in and have a conversation with Claire and I. Wake up, sip uh, yeah. your coffee, and for a good time, call Truth to Power Show. Yeah, definitely. I'll <laughs> announce the um, the phone number at that time, or you look it up online. But we can, we'll have a we'll have the phone number announced at that time. So you can right ask now, anything. Yeah, yeah, you can ask anything. <laughs> talk to us. Have a conversation. Whatever it is. So I mean, we'll go out with Ori's uh, last song. And uh, thank you so much, Ori. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, guys. Me. Thank you. in your boots.